Hello and welcome to a very special one-off edition of York Hospital Ball with current York City manager Steve Watson. This was actually instigated by the club itself and more specifically Dan Simonite and uh, I really appreciate him getting in touch with my colleague at York Hospital Radio, Paul, and asking if we'd be interested in, in speaking to Steve and I think it was a great move all around really. I enjoyed speaking to him and uh, you know hopefully York City fans listening to this will see maybe different sides of Steve that you know delving into his wider career and, and, and maybe appreciate some of the things he's done in football. Episodes sponsored by Russ Hoban and the Derwent Reds, who are a long-time supporters group of York City, big fans, and uh, they've always been really supportive of the podcast and, and the live events and stuff like that. So, you know, big appreciation for them for sponsoring the episode. And in terms of sponsorship and donations, don't forget our Just Giving page, which is justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. It really makes a huge difference to the charity. I know there's probably lots of people who, who listen to the podcast who maybe might not have donated, and even if you could do a pound or two, that that would really really help us and not going to say anything other than that other than to uh, enjoy this special edition of uh, York Hospital Ball with Steve Watson So thanks, Steve, for joining us on this 50th episode of York Hospital Ball. Really delighted to speak to you. And of course, we'll discuss plenty of York City, but I thought we'd start looking back at your playing career, which had a remarkable start, you know, given you were just 16 when you made your debut. And then I was doing some more research and I found it was even more impressive because you were nearly released, I think, just before. Is that right? Yeah, it's a strange story the way it turned out. At school, going through, we joined Newcastle at uh, 10 years old, myself, Alan Thompson, Robbie Elliott. We were all the same age group, but it was a centre of excellence. So it was basically one night's training a week with Newcastle with a guy called Stan Nixon who was a great coach but all the other lads back then were just constantly only obsessed with football I was somebody that was represent the school and the area for every sport so I was an athlete I was doing 400 metres I was doing high jump I was doing triple jump I was school basketball captain I was in the cricket team uh, we didn't do rugby up there back then otherwise I would have been involved in that so yeah I mean as, as time went on they were getting more and more we were really, we were getting more and more involved with Newcastle but I just think Newcastle had the impression Pete Kirtley and Stan Nixon who I've got a lot to thank them for got a great deal of respect for them but I just don't think they thought I took football as seriously as the rest so when it got to I think it got to 15 years old. I wasn't signed and everybody else was. And then eventually uh, it sort of something clicked in my head. I, I ended up playing the last season for Walls End Boys Club as a centre forward. Scored a load of goals and the sort of penny dropped what I needed to be and, and mindset wise and, and commitment wise to be a footballer. So pretty much the last person to sign and the first person to play. So it's amazing how it worked <laughs> out. And, and what, how much do you remember about your debut for Newcastle? Yeah, I remember same as similar to now. Our, our young lads are at college on a Thursday. We were the same. But I got sort of called out of college on Thursday to train with the first team, which was a bit easier to do back then. wasn't as political. And then the first team with Jim Smith thought I was sort of making the numbers up, doing a 10v10. And then got told I was going to travel down to Wolves with the team for my first um, squad. I'd, I'd had been doing well in the reserves, but it was... And back then, the reserves, I must say, prepared you a lot better to, to play in the first team. Mm. So I'd been playing against men all season, disgruntled men who weren't in their first teams, trying to kick you up and down the park, which, which prepares you physically as well. So, yeah, and then got to the Saturday morning and I think the kit man, uh, Chris Guthrie at the time, let it slip to me that I was on the bench. So And back then, I think there was only two subs. So I knew there'd be a good chance if there was an injury and then came on. But I must admit, I didn't, I wasn't fully aware of um, the magnitude of what was happening as in the youngest player. So came on, done okay. I didn't, didn't remember a lot about the game. Just I think I came on for one of the, I think it was Liam O'Brien maybe. 
and and yeah, so that was it was all a bit of a blur. And did you, because you were involved in the first team then? Most people your age would have been cleaning the boots of the, the sort of first team players. But if you're in the first team, were you still cleaning boots? Were you cleaning your own boots? What were you doing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean. Jim Smith, uh, the manager back then, uh, wouldn't have it any other way. And I remember I actually had three, my first year as, a, as an apprentice, I had three professionals and none of them were in the first team. So I, I was, I got the stage where I was, I was playing in the first team, doing the jobs on a Friday, especially because you'd think you'd might allow you to have an early dart on a Friday, but no, it wasn't the case. So I remember getting the bus back from Benwell to Wall's End, two buses on a Friday afternoon, knowing that I was going to play on the Saturday after cleaning the boots, doing the dressing rooms, cleaning the kit or whatever my job was at that time and I don't you know, I look back at that and I don't think there's anything wrong with it you know I was 16 years old I didn't need two hours more on the house on the couch and a rest and you know there was weren't the days of having the right diets and things like that so no it, it didn't do me any harm at all and, and you mentioned Jim Smith there I wanted to come on to him because I, I remember growing up and he was the derby manager which was a bit later on in his career but he came across very old school what, what was he like to play for Jim he was actually a really good football man but he was like a lot of managers back then you know he had a temper on him it was you know back then there's nothing he couldn't or, or probably wouldn't say, but he was a really, really good football man. You know, he had good, he had good football staff with him. You know, Bobby Saxon was with him, so I got a really good football education. But obviously. Newcastle weren't doing amazingly well at the time. We had quite an old team. Uh, so when I made my debut, we had people like John Burridge, Ray Ranson, uh, Roy Aitken. My two strikers were Mark McGee and, and Mickey Quinn. So, you know, it was a pretty aged side with, uh, with, the, with the exception of probably me and Lee Clark who had made his debut before me who, you know, ended up being best mates. So, yeah, it was a, it was a tough school to come into because, you know, I look at some of our kids now and, and when I look at them training with a first team first team obviously because the standards has to be high and I, and I insist on the standards being high you know they will have a they will have a go at the younger lads if the standards are dropping but go now compared to what we got through at us it, it, a million miles away really I've got that down here about the dressing room and, and what was it like and, and and Mickey Quinn's name I've got written down here was it quite intimidating as a 16 year old being in with them and you mentioned John Burridge as well who I think was a big personality wasn't he to be honest they were a great group they were almost like fatherly to us I was that young uh, you know, with agents and, and people trying to get on board with it and they were very protective over me. Obviously not on the pitch, they were as they should have been on the pitch, you know, trying to keep the standards high. But no, they were, they were, they were a great bunch, really. And But as I say, you know, we weren't being particularly successful at the time, so it was probably a, a tough time for everybody. Uh, but for me, at 16, it was all fun and games, you know. It was, there was no pressure, really, for me personally. It wasn't probably until the second and third seasons where, you know, people say second season, third season syndrome, you know, that was definitely the case. But it was all just... I came from doing my exams in June to playing in Newcastle's first team in November, so it was... You know, I didn't have time to soak it all in. It probably wasn't until the summer till I realised where I was at and what I was doing. And one thing that, that does the rounds on the internet now and again is your unique long throw. Often these, these clips that come up. How, how did you discover that technique? Because it was decided like a bit of a forward roll, didn't you? And launched it quite a fair distance. Yeah, I mean, amongst all the other sports I mentioned, I was I was involved in um, gymnastics, you know, the gym and dance displays, things like that. And I was really young, so you know, I was I was pretty flexible. Me and my mates used to play a lot of football on Tynemouth Beach. Go down there on a Sunday and, and have a kick about together and I just remember the ball going down to sea one day and I, I went down to get it and just about to throw it back and I just I just thought I'll give this a bash just just completely out of the blue and the ball flew you know it went miles and, and that was on sand so I thought I've got to give this a try at the training ground now 
give it a try at the train ground in the juniors back then and we ended up using it in games where we'd send the centre half up to the back post and nobody was expecting it and uh, obviously on grass with a bit of a run up it was um, you know it went miles you ever thought of showing Michael Duck without it <laughs> <laughs> no, to be honest with you like when I did try it in a, in a real match it was completely pointless I did it first time at Ayrson Park um, with about three or four yards run up and it just sort of flopped into the air and, and, and went about half the distance of what a normal throw would be so it was just completely pointless I look back at that now and just think <laughs> what must people have thought of me then I mean what do I think of myself for doing it but at the time you think you, you think you're the dogs don't you <laughs> I mean of course a huge highlight of your, of your career must have been playing for Kevin Keegan and I think you're the only player who played in his first and his last games as manager of Newcastle what, what was it like playing for him and what was it like playing for that side you know known as the entertainers and I listened to a podcast with John Beresford recently and he said there was no real never did any work on shape or training was just it sounds like just a bit of a laugh really and, and, and really good fun to be part of yeah I think Kevin sort of took his training sort of schedule from his days at Liverpool where I believe it was very similar uh, I think it was very similar to what they did five sides every day a little bit of passing shooting finishing but basically just kept them on the balls all the time but I mean for me you know having Kevin Keegan who you've grown up seeing Kevin Keegan Peter Beardsley Chris Waddle Terry Mack as your sort of idols as a Newcastle fan just having Kevin walk through the door was you know was special enough but and they say weeks a long time in football you know I remember Ozzy Ordeal is his, I think his last game was Oxford away and I remember there was me and a lad called Lee Makel who ended up playing for Hibernian and, and, and Blackburn for a bit as well yeah, yeah yeah he did for Blackburn so I remember Ozzy getting me and Lee Makel in before the game at Oxford and just saying look this has turned into a real battle and I might have to go with a lot of the seniors now so don't be surprised if you're not going to be involved again this season so you know me and me and Maka came out of there thinking wow well, that's pretty damning you know we've, uh, mm-hmm. we're probably going to have the next two months back in the in the juniors and then I think Kevin got the job on the Monday or Tuesday and I was back in the team so it's it, you know it's just crazy how, how the game can work sometimes and, and what was your relationship like with, with Kevin it comes across as someone who would be a real good man manager you know he was the best motivator I've ever seen I've ever dealt with you know he'd get you walking out that tunnel at St. James is believing it was, it was impossible to lose and you'd make you feel a million dollars about yourself I think looking back at, at Kevin and maybe my fault as well be, well no in fact certainly my fault <laughs> but even though the penny did drop with me when I did sign I was still never as sort of focused as, as some of the others and, and, and I'd do things on the pitch where I'd take risks and, and make decisions on the pitch uh, that you know Kevin must have been pulling his hair out with so I think I played a lot of games under Kevin I'd always end up in the team Kevin signed Barry Venison when me and Alan Thompson we got called up the England in the 20s World Cup and while we were away he'd signed Barry Venison which was directly my position and Scott Sellers directly Tomo's position so you know we knew then that it was going to be tough to play but always ended up playing somehow and I think I always end up playing because I could play anywhere I was almost which is not what you want to hear really but I was almost the perfect sub come on up front I'd come on in midfield I'd come on left back I'd come on anywhere so although he brought a lot of players in Warren Barton Mark Hottiger Paul Robinson I always ended up there or thereabouts but always had the impression that he never quite trusted me 100% the way that he did the other players and I mean let's talk about some of the iconic games that you played in as well and I was, I was going to say let's start with the Liverpool 4 Newcastle 3 in 1996 but a few months before that you, you scored the winner at Anfield didn't you in a, in a League Cup game which has to be surely one of your best goals of your career it's, it was a tremendous goal uh, and he seems to score, score quite a few goals against Liverpool as well I did yeah I went um, went on up front and it was it was strange I remember the game well because Kevin had this thing sometimes where he wouldn't put a keeper on the bench he'd put three outfield players and he'd make me train with John Burridge sometimes on a Friday morning taking crosses and taking shots and doing some goalkeeping <laughs> work just in case I had to come on as, go- as, 
as a sub goalkeeper, which again, something I could have did because I, as all the other sports, I was a keeper as well when I was younger. I'm sure you um, were. Yeah, of course I was. <laughs> why, why, why? I, I think that game in particular, I, I, there was a bad tackle went in on Shaka Hislop and about 10-15 minutes before I went on as a striker for Les, I'd, I was almost on in goal for Shaka. So, and I'm standing doing my warm up, just thinking, get up, Shaka, get up. <laughs> like, I'm not ready to go on at, <laughs> in the cop. <laughs> you know, I don't mind playing the Walls End boys club yeah. and goal every now and again, but don't want to go on in front of the cop. And Shaka got up, and then 10 minutes later, Les got a head injury, and um, I, I just played up front. And, and to, to be honest with you, that was a great goal. I re, you know, that was one of my best goals, if not my best goal, but. As the game went on, I probably could have had a hat trick as well. Um, so it was a great goal, but it could have been could have been an even better night, really. I was looking at some of you. There's a, a sort of real good YouTube highlights reel of all your goals. I don't know if you've, you've seen it, but um, the one you got for Everton against Bolton as well has got to be up there, hasn't it? As one of your best goals. It was something I, I never used to. I was never a striker as, as such, so I never worked on 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 finishing, you know, regimentally. I just everything was off the cuff for me up at that end, and that was just something. It, it came over me, came over me shoulder. I just managed to get a great connection on it, and. It, looked you know it looked a lot better than I thought it looked until when I saw it again I thought whoa it does look like a goal but uh, at the time I thought I was saying it just helped it on I, I sort of knew I thought I knew I was going to try and aim for the goal but it looked a lot better than, than I thought when I watched it again and again that was another game where I think I scored two that night and that could have been my first out as well so I did I, I got myself into some good positions considering it wasn't really natural to me and going back to that Newcastle game where you lost 4-3 at, at Liverpool I, I know kind of one game doesn't make a season but that almost summed up Newcastle in the 90s for me that fantastic to watch as a side but fell just short ultimately when, when it kind of mattered it do you think kind of if you if you had won that game you know if you'd have won that game 4-3 do you think Newcastle would have gone on and won the, the Premier League I think there's two or three games that people remember I think Blackburn when, when Graham Fenton scored two goals Geordie oh, yeah. uh, Lad against us Notts Forest when I think Ian Warren scored a 30-yarder where we'd give up a 2-1 lead and then obviously Liverpool was around that time as well not trying to duck out of anything because don't you know don't get me wrong I'm, I'm as devastated as any Geordie that I'm not sitting you're talking about being a Premier League winner it still hurts it always hurts I'll never get my playing career back so I'll never you know mm. I'll never know what it feels like but I think what you have to remember as well is is how good man you were I think they won something like 16 out of the last 18 games they just came storming through and I don't think our form was that different I just think they weren't where they were and yeah we did we, we, we did lose some some big games but I think Kevin's I think looking back at it I think Kevin's reasoning for that was that that style of play and, that, and the system and the style of play and the way we approach games had got us into that yeah. position would he do anything differently only Kevin could answer that we had a very good coach there as well who doesn't get a lot of credit Terry was obviously Terry Mack was obviously Kevin's number two and we all loved Terry and all that but Derek Fazakli was was a phenomenal coach really but you know he very rarely very rarely took a sort of a shape session or a defensive session and as I say if we'd have won the league we'd have won it you know we'd have won it Kevin's way and, and as, as it happens you know man you just came storming through at the end you know we, you can't help it can you, you look at you finish games and you look, the first thing you do is you're looking at it well, there's no phones back then so you're all piling into the manager's room to see and it's Manu 1-0 again 89 minutes 1-0 88 minutes gigs Cantner and they just seem to have this knack they just didn't stop so really the game where probably the game where Manu beat us at St James's which was I think it was Cantner yeah. I think that was the catalyst because that was the big swing yeah so if you'd have won that one you'd well, if you won that, that would have kept, would have kept, kept the, 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 the distance, lead and yeah. then might not, but let's see, ifs and buts. And obviously around that time, people remember Kevin Keegan with the sort of rant and I'd, I'd love it if we beat them. And what were you guys thinking as players when, when he comes out and does that? So that was all part of Ferguson's mind games, wasn't it, a little bit, I think? Yeah, but I think, I don't think any of us now or... Kevin or anybody would regret that. I don't think um, that's that's the reason why anything anything happened differently. I just think that was the man, you know, that was the mark on the man. He wore his heart on his sleeve. He didn't hide from 
from, you know, he was one of the best guys I'd ever seen in front of people, in front of press, in front of fans. And he just showed everybody how much he cared. We were sitting on the coach and the, the press guy at the time, who now works for Sky, Graham Courtney. I remember him coming back on the bus and then just sort of his face with Kevin following him. It was a bit of a picture. He was almost, you know, he was almost like, you wouldn't believe what's just happened. And then obviously we kind of saw it on the bus an hour later. Everybody, everybody loved him. Everybody had a great dressing room at the time was was incomparable to anywhere else I've been so everybody was best mates and, and the manager was you know we, we, we considered the manager as part of us as well so David Batty memorised it and you know he, he, co- he copied it to a T he, he, he got it off perfectly so every now and again Bat- Bats would come out with a whole with a whole speech and, and Kevin just used to laugh I mean, and you're right about Kevin fronting up didn't you? I, I, I always remember him when they sold Andy Cole and he was on the steps wasn't he yeah. telling the fans about you know not, not many managers would do that I don't think think about happier times in, in terms of games that you played, beating Man United five 0 and, and Barcelona three two, are they up there with the sort of some of the favourite games that you've played in and the atmospheres? Yeah, I think probably the Barca game more so than the Man U game. You know, I think we were all capable of, of, of big wins against teams in our league, and you played against these guys quite a lot you know I'd played against Man U a dozen times uh, for Newcastle probably that was obviously the perfect game everything went right that night mm. uh, we got a goal from a corner and then from then the goals were brilliant all the people you'd expect and want to score scored Ginola Ferdinand Shearer and then topped off by that goal from Philippe um, yeah. which is what he was capable of so it was you know it was a really really good perfect performance really against them but when you certainly when you're a Jolie lad and you're going up against Barcelona and at the time Rivaldo was probably the name on everybody's lips in world football and, and that night I was playing centre-half directly against him you know it, that that's what made that night so special you know Sonny Anderson up front with him Enrique was playing De La Pena you know it was uh, Rijsiga all, all full internationals and, and Asprilla that night I know he scored a hat-trick but I've watched the game back two or three times since and I think you need to watch the full game to realise how good he was that night it wasn't just the goals it was he occupied all three defenders all night it was it was an unbelievable performance from him the goals topped it off Keith Gillespie had one of the best games he'll ever have but yeah as, as a knight you know that, that I think that was a night where people took Newcastle seriously on, on a on a European scale not just not just a good English side and, and you mentioned Fasino Spria there and on um, on his debut at Middlesbrough as well he, he put in that fantastic cross didn't he for you where he sort of did a Cruyff turn and just completely sent the defender the wrong way and then you were up there to sort of back stick to head it in weren't you I mean, he was an incredible talent wasn't he yeah nobody met him you know he'd, he'd, he'd literally turned up at the team hotel and Kevin was so eager to involve him he just sort of said look can you do, do you fancy getting on the bench even though you've not trained with the lads and you've not you've not done anything to do with the team and give him the last 20-30 minutes or whatever it was and, and that was just that was just what was a taste of what was to come what was great about that goal was that or what was funny about that goal not great but is that Tino did what he did put it onto my head I, I scored the goal and as I've sort of turned kind of saw all the teammates running past me to Tino <laughs> I remember thinking well, well hold on I'm sure it was me that scored that one but everybody ran to Tino and I think it was Philippe was the first person to actually realise that I might need I might need a pat on the back as well for that one but no I was listen it's probably for a different probably for a time when I'm not managing where we talk about Tino in depth but uh, what a character what, what a talent I was looking at some of the positions that you, you played during your career and you touched upon this earlier you know you signed as a striker you made your debut as a right winger your main career was as a right back you were left back up against Cristiano Ronaldo once I believe centre back against Arsenal who at the time were obviously unbelievable and kept a clean sheet did anything like that did that ever phase you playing left back for example or I mean obviously playing in goal might have phased you a little bit in at the cop but and, and I wondered whether do you ever reference 
points, stuff like that. So, so maybe someone like Sam Fielding for playing out of position early on in the season or some of the players that have had to fill in for you. No, and I, well, I think what I do understand is that it's not natural to everybody. And don't get me wrong, I don't think it was natural to me. I just think I cope with it well. But, but no, it, 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 is, it is difficult. It is difficult, especially when you, as I say, it's, it, maybe, maybe the fact that Kevin didn't do any sort of specific positional stuff or shaped or doggedly done defending as a group and things like that. So, so maybe just being dropped in was maybe a bit easier rather than having these huge amounts of messages in your head about other positions. So I felt playing up front was easy, as in, it's not easy, but it was, I found it easy to cope with because, what, I mean, what, what do you do? You put yourself in positions to score and that, that's what I did. You know, I scored a few goals. I played against Southampton up front with Coley. I think I scored twice. I scored against Swindon a couple of times up front. Ended up playing up front a couple of times for Everton and that was sort of seven years later, which then, well, not seven years later, but probably four or five years later where you think you've maybe got that versatility tag out of your system and then it sort of happens again at another club. But yeah, no, it isn't easy, but the, the, you know, the one player who I, I felt has, has took to it really naturally recently with us is Ollie Dyson, who's very, you know, he's a very clever young lad as a footballer, very game, and we'd sort of drop that on him against Spennymore in the warm-up. Yeah. So not even, you know, he didn't even have 24 hours to get his head around it. Michael Duckworth pulled up in the in the warm-up at Spenny. We hadn't won a league game, although we'd had a great pre-season. And we were toying with the idea of him or Harrison Hopper. Dice had played probably more league football and played more minutes. We just thought it might be a bit more natural for him. And he was brilliant. you know. And he has been. Every time we've played him there, he's been brilliant. And at the moment, Ducky's actually ill at the moment, so he might, be, he might be forced to play there again. But you've got absolutely no problem doing that now. And I think he's alluded to in the press, said so he's played four or five positions. He has. I mean, he's, but they've all been sort of of positions that are very just small differences in position so for instance right of a four as a put and then maybe top of a three it's it's pretty similar but putting back the right back was a big adjustment for him and he and he caught with a great yeah I see how you adjust if you put him on the bench for Pete Jameson maybe if <laughs> yeah. you had 12 caps for England in the 21s and, and one cap for England B team I think that was the game that Matt Lasicius got a hat trick if I'm if I'm right is that something that almost as a, as a bit of a regret that you didn't get the full honours with England because that, that would have been the icing on the cake wouldn't it for you yeah again it's 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 like the Premier League you know it's always something that you look back on and you'd wish that you'd, you'd topped your career which was you know it was a decent career but I'd like to have uh, I'd like to have played for my country full cap um, obviously it goes without saying I'd like to have won something mm. you know end up playing in two FA Cup finals and, and you know being in two or three well finished twice second in the Premier League but yeah I mean the Engl- Engl- England one's something you obviously wish you'd had it was a bit of an unlucky run with England I was England at 21 right back for, for most of the time and, and Gary and Phil were always the same era and then just after Carragher and Manu were just flying Manu were flying so I'd got I'd gone from sort of being the, the under 21 right back to seeing sort of Gary and Phil make the full squad and me staying as under 21 right back which was, a, which was difficult really because um, you know I felt like I, I felt like I was I was good enough but you get your chances as well so I, I remember we played Newcastle fans will remember it more than, than most people but we had a FA Cup against Stevenage where we played down there and there was a bit of a farce down there there was about the stadium and, and the managers were at each other and it become a little bit of a circus and they took us back to St James's in the, in the replay and I was in the England squad to meet up on the Sunday night me, Bats, Rob Lee and Alan I think were meeting up with England and playing against Stevenage and I remember I went to sort of volley across school and uh, kicked the lads studs and it was before it was a household name it was a broken metatarsal and I remember going off on the pitch and Derek Wright the physio at the sideline I sort of had this little circular hole in the top of me Adidas World Cups and, and Derek says uh, 
I won't take your boot off, he says, because that, that tells me that there's something wrong there. And I went, oh, I've got to go back on because I'm meeting up with England tonight. Mm-hmm. And I think, to be honest with you, I think there was a couple of injuries. I think Gary might have pulled out the squad. And I thought, I've got to go back on. And I remember trying to step back onto the pitch, just hearing a crunch and just seeing the blood sort of come out the, the hole in the top and collapsing. And I just thought, I went, that's my... Anyway, went to get the x-ray. First thing Monday, just a clean break. And uh, and that was and that. was that. That would have been my best chance. So, hey, listen, I'm absolutely full of respect for, for, for people like Gaz and Phil and, and Cara. Um, but I just, you know, one would have been nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, obviously, I'll, I'll have to swiftly try and move it towards York City. But, but 351 Premier League games, hat-trick for, for Everton against Leeds as well. You, you must look back on your career, you know, playing career with such um, pride. And I know you've sort of stayed in the game, but how hard is it to come to terms with the fact that your playing career comes to an end? And, and you know, because I imagine that adulation of, even I was looking at one of your goals for Sheffield Wednesday at, away at Sheffield United, you know, even sort of towards the end of your career, you're still scoring in big games. And, and that must be such a, a, a good fe- a feeling that you probably can't replace, can you, being a manager? I've been through everything as a footballer, I would say. You know, we, we had um, we had them great times at Newcastle. We were, or me, me and the family, sorry, were, were forced, well, not forced, but we made a decision to move and, and not just move, but move lock stock down to Birmingham, um, went to Villa, which is a great club. As happens sometimes, just didn't work for me. It wasn't the right thing to do. And as I say, we, 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 had, we had a couple of tough years at Villa, even though we had, you know, as a team, we finished sixth twice, which in the Premier League terms, still still good season. We played, made some fantastic mates. As I say, a fantastic club, great supporters, just didn't quite work for me there. But you know, people like Gareth Southgate was my captain, Gareth Barry, Merce. Dion Dublin, Stan Collymore, you know, just great squad. But as I said, that that didn't work. Had five fantastic years at Everton. Love the place to death. Walter Smith, followed by David Moyes, who looking looking at myself as a manager, some of the things I try and take into sort of what I do on a daily basis, probably more technically wise than anybody it would be. David Moyes ended up leaving Everton for, for West Brom again it, it didn't particularly work well for me but another great club and finished my career at Chef, Chef Wedge which I, I, I had a ball you know I wish I'd have got I wish they could have seen me a little bit earlier a little bit fitter a little bit slimmer and a little bit more mobility in my hips but I think they'll all, they'll look back at me time there as, as, as good. So, you know, I've had five great English clubs and, you know, for that, I've got to be thankful. And was coaching and management always a plan for you, sort of winding down towards the end of your playing career? Were you always planning to, to go into management? Not really. And I, and I hear a few people say this now. And I think I listened to Broads' podcast with you and it was similar with him. I was one of these people that didn't want to start me badges, didn't want to coach, didn't want to, didn't want to go into it while I was playing. I just wanted to play. Just wanted to concentrate on playing, see where that takes us. A little bit naively looking back, because never really saw the end coming and you should do because it's not, you're not going to go on beyond 30 especially when you've started at 16 mm-hmm. and you know I had a really bad uh, I, I was chronic with my hip at Sheffield Wednesday and I, I look back now and I somehow still playing games and there's things I couldn't do which you wouldn't believe you know I couldn't get in and out the car I couldn't put my socks on but I was still playing the championship and I was managing my game quite well and sometimes I wind the lads up uh, you know when they're, when they're pulling out of games with a, with, a, with a sore eyebrow or something like that <laughs> and I'm so but like, that's just uh, that's me winding them up but I think you know I got everything out of my career I could I played I played literally till I couldn't play anymore I'd like to have won something I'd like to have but I've got I've got very little regrets when I look back at the career I've had for the ability I had and, and I know you worked with uh, your former teammate Lee Clark at a few clubs but how, how influential was working with John John Askey in terms of you know when you worked with him at Macclesfield in terms of understanding non-league football which is where you've ended up managing was that um, you know a key part of your career yeah I think 
when I went to I went to Huddersfield first off with Lee as a development sort of coach and then you know, we came very close to doing you know we had a great run Lee, Lee had a great run with Huddersfield where I think we've still got the, he broke the football league record for unbeaten games mm. we just missed out in the playoffs and then I you know, went to Birmingham with him where I ended up stepping up again a little bit to, to assistant manager but also higher level and then when we came out of when we came out of Birmingham I spent sort of a little while out of football and I, as much as I was trying to get back into football just made me realise that there's so few jobs for so many applicants yeah. and being somebody from the background I am and, and, and the way I am mentally and the way that, you know the way I was brought up I thought well I've got no problem with starting starting wherever I need to start and build myself up and go so that's when John Askey so I went to watch a game at Mac because I lived in you know five minutes from Macclesfield got introduced to John I think uh, F.A. Sodji had just left as his number two and John sort of says if you want to if you want to get back in and, and, and give me a hand with this just really enjoyed it and ended up the second season after that making it official because I, I was just helping out for the first season really making it official I remember me and John sitting down in the summer we had a huge we had a huge budget cut and we were in the National League and we put a squad together a lot of people I knew from championship level which were had been released and who mm. I knew had the you know, people like Mitch Hancock who scored a load of goals for Mac from he was a left back at Birmingham but he ended up playing left left of a, a front three scoring a load of goals uh, that season and sort of between us we managed to put a, a squad together that was you know really competitive hard to beat and you know when I left I left uh, to go to Gateshead when I eventually you know I got a chance to be a manager and you know Macclesfield I left them on the top and they stayed there and, and, and they had a fantastic season and you know me and John still speak now and I loved working with him you know it was, he was so genuine about who we were working with and, and, and the ways to do it and, and sometimes he'd, he'd have to say to me I can't do what, what you're asking there you have to be realistic about things and he, yeah he did, I was going to ask yeah. you that was it hard you know with all due respect you've played at a lot higher level than these players that, that you were working with what, what, was it hard then sort of make that transition almost to that level not at the level and not not with the people but sometimes sometimes when when you're asking them yeah and and you know, I'm, I'm at the stage now where if you spend enough time with people uh, just doing the basics and like I try to do with our our young lads you know I was, I was you know last last Wednesday I was just stood behind the goal on my own but it was freezing in the youth cup game just watching the lads because you spend enough time with them you know what the capabilities are and then you then you try you, then you know you're not asking them to do anything they can't do mm. and I think that's I think that's the key with the lads I know what they're all capable of now and if they step below that in games you know you're not asking them to do things that they're incapable of doing they've just slipped below the standards uh, for one reason or another it might be confidence it might be fitness it might just be an off day but I think I think the key is to, to spend enough time with a person know what they're, they're all capable of doing and you're not asking them to do something they can't do you you, you know and then you can demand of them and I, I'm not sure I fully recognise the job that you did it with Gateset I mean I was, I was researching it uh, obviously for this interview and you know top, regular sort of top 10 in the National League despite being favourites to go down I think you got to an FA Trophy semi-final as well all under severe sort of financial constraints did that almost make that job? I know you. I can't remember. You were there about eighteen months, I think, at Gateshead. Yeah, yeah. Um, did that almost make you learn more of that experience of having having those things to you know those barriers in place? You know what I mean? Rather than having a, having a job where you've got like a, a really decent budget and and you know good players at your disposal. I think at Mac they've always they've always been in and around the football league, and I think no matter you know sometimes no matter how well me and John were doing, they'd still have they'd still harbour the memories of being in the football league. I think with Gateshead with Gateshead you know I took them over and. 
similar position to York, really, a, a 15th, sort of 15th in the league, something like that. Just consolidated and then put a squad together again on a on a on a pretty lower budget. That I thought could compete, but they they ended up probably competing more than than I even thought at the start of the season because they were, they were such a progressive group. You had people like Greg Ollie who he'd been released by Hull. We got him in for a couple of weeks, and I remember turning around to Mickey and saying, "This boy's got some ability." And playing them more, giving them more and more confidence. You know, Robbie Tinkler, people like that. And, and it's the same when I when I got here. You know, we we had we had a, we had a bunch of we had a bunch of players that were 15th, I think, when we got here. Similar similar type of position. And all I could do the first season really was ascertain who I think would be good enough to kick on to the next level, and then who was at the limit, and, and who who was at a certain stage where you know they couldn't take us where we hopefully needed to go. And consolidated, started again, and then you know that season was was the season where you know that could have been that could have been or should have been yeah the, the season which we'll come on to I mean I was just going to say it was 16th I think when you came to York but sort of almost equal distance in terms of points between the playoffs and relegation I, I just wondered what what your first impressions were when you took over and how quickly those impressions changed once you played Stockport and Charlie in those first couple of games I think it's just it was just a case of knowing how much we needed to do you know that that, that was probably obviously you don't want to lose your first two games but it was probably a blessing in, in the fact that it showed me where we were from the for the top teams that I think they both went up that season. Yeah. So just sort of showed me that the confidence was low. Thought the temp when I got a training, you know, the tempo and and the, and the the training was 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 pretty low key, low tempo. Just lifted, try to lift everything in that respect. And then I think as we as we as we gone on, we, we changed the system a little bit because I thought because of the players we had, we needed to play that system. And players who listen, fans, managers, everybody has their, their different opinions on some rate people, some don't rate people, obviously. But you know, people like people like Joe Tate, Callum Griffiths, they've done great for me. You know, they were involved in the team that that could have won the league, that, that maybe should have won the league or would have won the league. But then you you know you get the end of the season and then you you look at what you've got and then you think how you know, can I improve it? So then you you have to make decisions right or wrong, somewhat completely out of my hands. You know, people like um, well, the second season certainly people like David Ferguson and, and mm. Kieran Green and, and and Kempster they wanted to move on, couldn't, yeah. couldn't keep hold of people like that. Uh, but but that's, it's all you know it's all about decisions. I, I believe you know looking at this season, looking at the squad we put together, when when fit from what we've what we had taste as of seeing we're still you know we're still a team with uh, you know we're still in single figures the league games still a team that that can go and achieve what we hopefully want in terms of recruitment as well because got the likes of Steve McNulty that second season you were there how does recruitment work at York City I was sort of thinking of players like like Kieran Green Pete Jameson Dan Maguire all, all came from Blythe were these players that you you were kind of recommended from like maybe your North East connections or with these players that have played against your clubs before or, or people that you went and watched how does it sort of work recruitment at York is it is it different for different players no I think it's, it's players I've worked with it's players I've played against um, it's players that went to watch and seen games and took notes of them it's people I trust you know you, you have to you have to lean on people I'd like to think anybody asks me about a player I'd give them the honest truth you know I wouldn't lie to a manager or a coach uh, to try and get a player away from us because it just, it'll just come back and haunt you so there's a lot of people I've asked opinions on you know for instance Greg Ollie at Gate said Steve Harper was a obviously was the keeper at, at Hull at the time he, he said to me that there's a young lad being released from Hull he's, he's got great ability but for some reason they don't like him he's a local lad and you know he turned out and I still think he is one of the top sort of three players in this league mm. so 
you, you know, you, you, you go on people's recommendations, but you have to get them in. We couldn't have just took Greg Ollie off that. We'd have had to, uh, we'd have had to have got him in ourselves. But also, you know, the, the vicinity, the vicinity for at this level has has to have something to do with it. That, that's the reason why we've got a mainly northern-based squad because you're not paying people enough money to to relocate from London. You're not paying people enough money to come down from Scotland. So you have to you have to be able to recruit within. I would suggest an hour, an hour and a half of your of your area. So your your recruitment by that by that alone is and, restricted. And the size of a contract as well is obviously only going to be a year or two, isn't it, Max? Really? Yeah, I, I just you know, think in terms of security for players. No, of course, of course, and especially coming off what we've just came off the back of COVID-wise, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to, to tie people down. And some players don't want to be tied down because you know, no disrespect to us or any other club, but if the players have got any ambition about them, they they want to jump two or three leagues if they can. Mm, um, short career, isn't it? Because you, you can't blame them. Ollie Dyson, for instance, you know, I, I think there's a player. I think Mackenzie Heaney's is came off the back of having a, a really bad spell, probably personally, and and is just coming out the other side of that now. But they're good ages, you know. Akil Wright, all good ages mm. to go and be league players. So I suppose from their point of view, they don't want to be tied down any longer than that. And then the club can't afford to tie people down on a two-year deal if they're not the players we hope. So that, that, that's how it works. So, you know, yeah. I mean, looking back on that 1920 season, I mean, it started so well, didn't it? You know, I was looking back last night, mid-November, wasn't it? Until we got beat. I think it was 16 without defeat. You know, that period of sort of beating Kings Lynn at home, Stockport on TV was a great performance. Chester away, where Dan Maguire got the, the winning goal. McNulty was so solid, and Ferguson with so many assists, 11 points clear. The morale must have been so high around that time. And I just wondered, can you afford as a manager to think, well, if we keep this going, you know, no one can live with us. And, and second to that, why did it? Why did that progression sort of stall? Do you think looking back now? I, I think the same as Newcastle. I think you know when you talk to me about we we just we had a we had a couple of indifferent results. We had a couple of results where the lads maybe I don't know whether they'd you know got got to a stage where they would maybe hit a bit of fatigue, just a bit of a bad spell. But it didn't you know it didn't stall terribly. But you know I remember sort of speaking to the Kings Inn manager just to you know just to like when when the decision was made you know we spoke and he, and he was fine and you know he he says look I'm not sure this would have been the case because you know they'd hit a spell they'd hit that spell but they'd hit that spell coming into COVID and that's why I'm convinced we'd have we'd, we'd have gone up that season. But it's it's like it's like anything you know you've got players at this level and they're not going to reach those heights for 40 odd games in a row. They're going to have they're going to have off spells. I still as I say I look back at that season with great fondness. The hardest thing about that was the the restart and the Altrinum and and our preparation for for those games was I thought was hindered greatly probably more than most because we were literally doing everything by the book. Mm. And I remember we didn't we didn't have a game coming into Altrinum. We played I think we played a, a sort of 30 minute each way game against I think Halifax came down and Ultram had played the game before competitive game you know and I just didn't think they were you know they deserved they deserved mm. to win that game can't say anything more than that but I just know that we we could have been a lot more ready but as we did you know we, we did everything by the book and maybe maybe others didn't with the points per game thing which I think was probably the best of a bad bunch wasn't it in terms of the options that were available at that time and obviously no one could have foreseen what was going to happen with Covid because it was so tight was there any sort of games that you look back on with Greta you know I think the Hereford one at home uh, probably for me but I didn't know where for you whether it was Kings Lynn or maybe the Geyser game where we probably should have had a penalty is there any games that you sort of think oh, in fact I just no you, you no. do you do but then I suppose any team could do the same yeah. it was it was a you know totally sort of unfair way not, not not unfair way to do it because you're right I think points per, what other way do you do it yeah. I'm a big believer but maybe it's only because of where we were I'm a big believer in points on the board 
or what counts. And that's what I was, I was trying to play that hand all the way through it as, as the club was. Or, you know, or just two go up, your top two, your two best sides in the league go up. But, you know, they have to make a decision on it. So, and I, I just think any club could, could look back and say, what if we'd have done this differently? What if we'd have made this pass differently? So, try not to beat myself up too much about it because, you know, it, it's gone now. We have to move on. And you ended up releasing 13 players. And I, I wondered whether you had a change of heart in that because I, I remember being at the, uh, I was at the Altrinham game commentating and I remember being there for your interview after the game. And you, and you were very philosophical at full time, you know, about the players' efforts and the fact that, you know, they've done so well over the season. And But then by the morning, it was quite ruthless, wasn't it? Because it was like Sir Jordan Burrow was released, who, who I thought scored, you know, a lot of important goals and seems to be quite a key man for you. He played most weeks and Steve McNulty the same. That must be the most hardest part of your job, is it, releasing players? And did you have a change of heart or, did, or were you just saying that to the press for... You know, to buy yourself no, some time. No, I, th- I think no. I think can't remember the the exact interview because you you, you come off. That's a problem with coming off the back of a game. Um, you're speaking emotionally. You're speaking. Sometimes you try to protect the players. We always Kenny Dalglish used to get a lot of grief from the press about the fact that he just wouldn't turn on the players to, to his detriment sometimes. Mm. So you know, I, I I can't remember the exact interview. To be honest with you, I was, I was absolutely low as a snake's belly. But you have to make decisions as, as a manager, and then you live and die by them. And then ultimately, ultimately. You, you win or lose by them and you do well you win the league you do well you get promoted you do well you improve the team massively you don't do well you end up losing your job so managers have to take that responsibility now you, we looked at what was out there we looked at the age of some of the players we looked at who was available who we could get at the time you know something like Dan Maguire Jordan Burroughs was fantastic for me at Gateshead and he was fantastic for me at York it's in effort and, and endeavour you knew we could trust him inside out then you have to say well can we get somebody that will convert more chances and that's what you have to, you know, that's that's ultimately all, all we did. We, everything's a risk. You know, mm. taking Dan Maguire from, who's for two seasons in a row outside of Glenn Taylor, who's, you know, the most consistent and best best striker this league's seen for five years, isn't a job similar to yourself. And we, you'd have to pay, you'd have to pay a league wage to get him here, which we can't do. Then you, you're running the risk. And so so Dan's came out of being a part-time footballer to being um, to being a full-time footballer. He really, really fancied the idea. He, he was up for the, up for the challenge. But, his, his body just couldn't cope with it. You know, mm-hmm. he'd, he'd been a plumber all his life, so he wasn't ready to train every day. And and you know, we, we suffered because of that. But that was a that was a chance we took. But you had people like Kempster who 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 done great again, and, and Ferguson was outstanding that season. And as I say, you know, you you have to make decisions. Some of them were out of hand. Some of them were my decisions. Mm. You look at Matty Brown uh, aerially, dominantly, a younger version of Maka, hopefully. You look at Newts, uh, Scotty Barrow, who was the only logical replacement for Fergie for me. You look at them pre-season and the assists he got you're, you're without the, both of them at the start of the season you look at Josh King you know his mobility and Joe Tate and, and as again Tate he never let me down once you look at Ducky and Griff you, you, you have mm. to make these decisions as, as a manager now pre-season everybody's everybody's absolutely buzzing about what they're saying three four weeks later we've had we've had three bad results and, and but that's that you know I have to take mm, that football. I have to take that on board as, as a manager I've, I've got to accept that, that that's, that's where the book stops with me you know that they're, they're my decisions they're my players do we ever foresee the fact that by the second half of Gloucester well, that were probably seven players that you'd start with but it's a result of business I get that I started out writing down some questions about last season but but then I thought I just scrapped some because I thought it was so stop start wasn't it that it would be unfair to sort of ask you any real questions the most significant event obviously was moving from Boven Crescent to LNER Stadium I just wonder what that was like obviously as supporters we've got our own kind of emotional attachment to it but what was it like for you as a manager it must be amazing to, to kind of walk out in that stadium I mean it's a fantastic facility isn't it like obviously not being 
York fan, growing up as a York fan, only as an opposition player a lot of the time. Um, haven't played at Bootham probably four or five times pre-season games with Newcastle, things like that. You know, you do get the history, of course you do. But as any club, you know, Man City, Derby, anybody, like Arsenal, sometimes you just, your time's up with somewhere and you, you have to move on. Looking at the stadium, it's it's you know it's fantastic, but it's a completely different environment because it's not you don't own the stadium. No, we don't. We don't get to train there when we want. We don't get to go and change there when we want. We don't. We, we don't get to do what we what we were able to do at Bootham there. So it is completely different in that respect. But as a stadium itself and a, as a place to play and, and, and working and change, and it's fantastic. But you know the problem with new stadiums. I found this when I played against teams. Played. I think I played in the first game. That Man City played at their new stadium. At Derby, their new stadium. It's, mm. it's a great environment for other teams as well. Of course, yeah, there is a game, don't there? I mean, and, and on to this season, which already feels like a bit of a roller coaster to be honest, Steve, as a as a support. You know, probably the best ever pre-season I've known in 30 years of watching York. Followed by three straight defeats to start the season, then an unbeaten run, then losing to Hereford, which obviously put not the wind out of everyone's sails, but but also on a good cut run. How how do you assess the start to the season, and how do you see things kind of going forward? Really difficult. You know, it has been. It's been very very tough. You know, Gloucester was toughest day I've had in my career playing managing coaching anything put something together in pre-season we put a system together we bought we put a team together where felt really really comfortable felt really like it suited everybody we'd spoke and I think you know I, I do I have a lot of fans who are York fans and I'm not I'm not one of these managers who have an idea and it's the right idea and nobody else's opinion matters so I did think that we needed to, to create and score more I thought the way to do that would be to go to a four I think we've got the players to do that Duke, he'll tell you himself he's a natural right back not necessarily a wing back Scotty Barrow is a left back Newt Brownie Josh Sam you know, all comfortable and you know the rest speaks for itself you know Aki Woodsy Paddy Paddy had an amazing pre-season Kenzie Dice you got you got options wide and then you've got four great strikers and you got Harrison who's as I say has been a bit of a slow burner but he's an incredible athlete you know he's, he's, he adds he adds a, a massive sort of energy dimension to it but then just not County we, we got another decent win but we were without people then and then you're changing everything you know you're changing everything it's forcing your hand a little bit we went into the, the kiddie game who we knew would be a good side we knew what Penna would be like but you know, we, we should have came off that game with a draw we didn't probably do enough to win but you get you get a huge deflection um, Gloucester can't say enough about how, how much went wrong that day both personnel and results and everything as, as, as much as preparation you know getting there it was just terrible day at the office followed by the Bratley game where we were very dominant but we were really nervous second half which is a reason why looking at how we played the second half sometimes you're almost in disbelief of how far and how deep and how, how, how lack of confidence it looks at times so we changed it for Spennymore we went to three up top to, to ensure that we stayed high to ensure that we went for it end up getting you know, three good wins on the back of that change but always in the back of my mind thinking that still the best I've seen us look is when everybody's fit as a, as a, as a good 4-4-2 and I think always strikers off central strikers as well I think we've got wide men we've got Kenzie and, and Paddy who can play there we've got Johnny Haas coming through who's a good young player who hopefully as time will come but Scotty Barrow is probably the best deliverer of the ball in the league alongside Newts you had good balance there so went back to looking at that against Whitby and now we've got a different set of ideas coming into Southport because they're a very different team again but we're at home looking forward nothing's changed in my mind you know everybody will have a spell We've we've had we've had a terrible first three games. Although I do think there's reasons for it, but again, I'm not sitting here making excuses. That's that's mm. that's the cards we're dealt. But I think everybody will have a spell. I don't think anybody's going to go through this league and become untouchable. I did say at the start of it, and it's probably proved to be the case seven or eight games in that they're going to be the team that if you finish above them, you you you'll end up winning the title. There's a lot of talking sport, isn't there, about sort of marginal gains, and and I was sort of looking, you know, you're a full time out there in a 
predominantly part-time league. You can still do sort of overnight stays. I think I think you overnight stayed at, at, at Gloucester earlier on. Fantastic stadium, probably fit for the football league. Is it fair to stay, say, even with a bad start, that automatic promotion can still be the aim? You know, you mentioned that we're still single figures of games that we played and, and you mentioned about other clubs having bad spells. 100%. If I got to the stage where we didn't believe that, then we'd have to sit down and I'd have to sit down on the board and, and have a serious chat about it. But we're absolutely, you know, we're absolutely convinced as a group that it's achievable. The good thing about these leagues is bad, bad thing and a good thing. The good thing is is that there's only one goes up, so you're not going to be devastated if you're not second, third. Only one goes up, and then you're in a batch of six. Then, and I don't think you'd fear anybody. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't fear anybody going into that situation. And un- until we can't harbour hopes of actually winning the league anymore, then get ourselves into where we need to be in the next four or five games, and and take it from there. But we we are where we are at the moment, and you know, getting Newts back, getting Scotty back, it'll be like two new signings again. So yeah, I'm absolutely confident it's been far from easy you know, far from easy as a manager certainly far from easy as a crowd watching but when I look at the lads every day you know when I see the lads I work with today is there a better group in the league you know I don't, I'm not sure there is so you, you left Gates said Steve because of ambition I think you know your ambition was to manage a bigger club what are your ambitions still as a manager do you want to get back up to the top work at the Premier League to be honest with you I think you know everybody would understand that that's probably every manager's ambition you want to manage at the highest level players want to play at the highest level anybody that works at any kind of job want to be as, as best that can be you know uh, so I'm no different as a manager but you know the reason when I think we were 7th or 8th or even 6th I think when I, when I came to talk to York was because I'd, I'd just seen York as a club that hadn't the infrastructure and, and, and the, you know everything in place I wouldn't say comfortably because that, you know nothing's been comfortable about it but to go through the levels to become a league club again you know if you look at Hartlepool York, York's got everything in place to, to do what Hartlepool have done but obviously it, it needs to be the, the results on the pitch is, is the most important thing but as a club as a fan base as a stadium financially there's nothing stopping York that's what I saw I, I look at clubs like Burton Albion and think exactly the same you know probably a smaller club than York City really which manager influenced you the most in terms of your style as a manager I'd be happy going to bed at night if I thought the players thought as much of me as we thought of Kevin Keegan and obviously I can't compare myself to Kevin Keegan I'm just talking about the way that players felt about him you know I want the players to run through a brick wall for me which we would have done I want the players to thoroughly enjoy every day but be under no illusions what's expected of them technically Moyes was great absolutely brilliant done a session this morning for instance and it was probably about half an hour 40 minutes reacting to a second ball reacting to what probably Southport would be doing to us and then we'll spend all tomorrow on what we're going to do to them but their sessions as a player and I remember doing it under Moyes would bore the life out of you (laughs) would absolutely bore you to death And and I said that the lads I said I get this I said but it's the only way we learn because repetitive repetitive will become habit and then these things will become natural and you won't be surprised by them and that was one of the great things about Moyes now as, as a defender it was monotonous day after day basics of defending you know the, the, the distances between your centre half and your right back you're shuffling across the pitch you're stepping up you're being tight you went to drop what position your body's in but looking back at it we ended up I don't know what the budget was at the time but we ended up finishing fourth our last season at Everton with absolutely no real superstars we'd still win by then mm. and we just had a, a bunch of really really hard working guys who would run through a brick wall for each other and you know we ended up getting the Champions League place at Everton and I think it was the first time Everton had finished above Liverpool in, in God knows how many years so that side of it really fascinated me from Moyes I, make no, I said that boys this morning I make no apologies for doing this because um, it works so that side of it he's taught me to maybe not 
not just do sessions that players enjoy. It has to be right. You mentioned there about the difficulties of that of a season. How do you deal with defeats? Is it, and is it different from when you were a player? You know, I'm thinking like the Ultron and playoff defeat or the first three games of this season. How do you deal with it as, as a person? You feel as a manager now, it's all on you. You do, and you'd rather, to be honest with you, I'd rather it be on me than the players. But yeah, you do, you do. It's, it, it's changed a little bit. I think when I played, and I think it's maybe because we spent, we were able to spend more time with the fans as players when we, you know, back in the 90s, you'd, you'd finish a game, be 15 of you, go out in the big market, have a drink, just mix with the fans. Mm. If you played terribly that day, you'd certainly get told you played terribly. <laughs> and you'd you'd know, you'd know yourself. Back then, you took the grief for your own performance on the pitch. Now, I think it's more towards towards the manager now. But mm. again, I'd rather be on me than the players having to deal with it. The other side of it is something that it's an ongoing issue as you, as you read and hear about every day, the social media side of things. Not York, every club, yeah. everybody in the world. My philosophy on that is, is simple, but maybe it's because I'm nearly 50. But my philosophy is on don't go it. Nothing good can come of it, really, because because I'm one of the maybe old school mentality of the fact that I don't need pats on the back. I know when I'm doing a good job. I know when things aren't going well. I don't need pats on the back the same way as I don't need to go and read that garbage. So I just don't bother. But it's it's more difficult for young players because it's a way of life for them. It's what they've been brought into. You know, we as young players at that age, there was no mobile phones for us. The, the only the only way that would get told anything negative is if somebody came up to us with a pint in their hand and told us that. <laughs> so it, it it has changed completely. But that is the way of the world now, isn't it? You know, that's the way that, that's the way it is. And if that's their way of life, that if they're going to go on it, you know, they've got to be prepared for what comes. Now, listen, constructive criticism and things like that, you know, par for the course for our game. The other stuff that comes with it, the, the abuse, the the racist abuse, the the mm. you know, all of that desperately needs uh, addressing. Absolutely, as about saying, when you pick sides, how much is it based on the opposition? Because yeah, you have got a relatively small squad this season. Is, is it kind of like your best players available will, will play? How, how much do you, you know, like Southport, for instance, are you thinking about how they play? and how you're going to set up? I think you'd, you've got to do your, your due diligence about, I mean, if, you, if you listen to managers of years gone by, some of the managers like Wenger will say, you know, never ever looked at the opposition, we're just worried about ourselves. Mainly, I do believe that if our tactics and our team is right and everybody's fit and everybody's confident and everybody's on the ball, I think we can beat anybody. But you wouldn't be doing your job properly if you didn't look at their strengths, and which is why you get teams watched every week. We've had Southport watched twice now because they played the replay. We actually sent two different people because you want to see two different opinions on it. And and as it happens, both opinions came back the same. So, yeah, you're aware of that, but football's not rocket science. Mm. You, you play the players that are playing well, you play the players that are scoring, which is why, you know, Clayton's played most games because Clayton's been in the right places at the right time and things that have gone differently against Hereford, Clayton would have slotted the penalty away and then we wouldn't have, wouldn't have needed to go back. If that wouldn't have happened in that. But, mm. And then if that if that result doesn't occur, we're all you know, much more positive now. But that's football, you know, that was another step back. We have to crack on forward again now. And it's funny you mentioned Clayton, he, he's the next question on there incredible isn't it 37 out you know looking at Ronaldo on Saturday was sort of put on the bench wasn't he I think almost rest him a little bit wasn't it sort of thinking about he's got to play so many games but Clayton seems to be playing every game and, and, and looks to me just as quick as he was in his first spell at York what, what's his influence like in the dressing room and on, on the young players what, what has he been like playing you for York you know what he's been great he's been great around the place I think probably what you don't see is we manage Clayton's workload on a weekly basis as opposed to the to the games we want him as fresh as he can be in the game so if, if he needs to train a day less than the lads to be ready for for Saturday because of the influence he's having then everybody you know everybody will take that all day long so you know we manage Clayton quite well 
outside of the games, which is why he's capable of banging out 90 minutes. We've been lucky because we haven't played a lot of, we haven't really played a lot of Saturday, Tuesdays. Yeah. So, you know, when, when, when Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday comes in the middle of the winter or over the Christmas spell, for instance, you know, we might have to look differently on it. But for us, you know, we've, not that we want anybody injured, but for us, we've managed to, you know, we've managed to keep four, well, certainly three and now Gilly, we've got four perfectly fit strikers, but yeah, we've got, we've got no fit left backs. We've got no fit right backs as we stand, like natural. So it, you know, it has been difficult in that respect, but no, Clinton's so laid back. You know, he, he's so relaxed, which is which is why, you know, he'd never change anything about who wanted to take that penalty the other night. Nobody could come to me and say, I wouldn't have let him do that because I, I just don't believe it. Because he'd never look like missing. He'd never look like um, panicking. His performance against Darlow, I thought was outstanding. He could, he could have scored one of the goals of the season that day. With, with Sam's midfield, uh, sorry, switch from right to left and his first touch. Mm-hmm. Now he's, he's been great. He's been everything. He, you know, he's probably been more than I'd hoped he'd be a, a, as a player, but very, very relaxed with it and very chilled. And I think the lads can go to Clayton without him being one of these ranting senior pros, which we have a few. You know, I won't name and shame them, but we've got a few ranting senior pros in training. Mm. Clayton's somebody that I think uh, Luke Jones could come and, and, and have a chat with or, or Josh Knowles or um, Kyle Lancaster and just say, you know, can you give me a hand? Because I know Clayton wants to get into that side of things. And I think that's one of the things we talked about when I signed him, that if he ever wanted to start down that path with us on the days he didn't train, he could maybe take a, a striker session or a, you know, a midfield to attack progression session or something like that. So in that respect, he's been brilliant. And just sort of coming towards the end now, best player that you've ever played with and against is a question I sort of ask a lot of people on the podcast. Best player I've played with would be over a spell, over a long spell, they've all had good moments. So, for instance, Janola for probably six months spell at Newcastle was incredible. Obviously, played with Gaza, played with Rooney. But over a spell, um, as a person, as a professional, and as somebody who just constant nine nine out of ten would be Peter Beardsley I thought, I thought you said Peter Beardsley <laughs> really? yeah I did oh, yeah. I didn't need to go through all that yeah, then sorry <laughs> try to keep you in suspense that <laughs> yeah, was good we'll, we'll edit me out <laughs> what about against again flashing moments where you think players you want to say their name because of who they are so Zidane against Zidane for Juventus pick that name Rivaldo <laughs> well you asked me <laughs> but no regular basis I found Thierry Henry virtually impossible to play against he had that horrible habit of coming down the right to cut in onto his right to shoot and he was just like I can only describe him as sort of Usain Bolt with probably better football ability although he does look a decent player Bolt but no he was he was incredible he had everything he, he was a fantastic footballer he had great touch and his pace was just frightening so you'd, and how did you try to defend against him did you just sort of try kicking well, him, played against him, him or played against him for the first time played Monaco in the UEFA Cup and right. he was a kid and I was I wasn't much older but I was probably I was probably 20 he was probably 18 so did you know who he, you wouldn't have known who he not was? Really, no, no, not really. They had a good, they had a good side, and Monaco's got the running track round it. Yeah. So started off quite well against them. Realised immediately that it was rapid. So back then you could use your body a little bit more. So back then you'd get your shoulder in, you'd get your arm across, you'd stop them, you'd, you'd halt them. And then he realised what was happening. And I remember the ball going back to the left back, and the left back just turned us both and me looking to just do the usuals, like stop him, cross check him. And he was he was like he was probably on the third lane of the running track, round the lines of it, and he was about 15 yards ahead when he came back on the pitch and I thought to myself what can you do with this guy like and nowadays if you're playing against him where you literally can't use your body as much he would be even more terrifying well Steve it's been great to hear your stories from your time at Newcastle and, and I really appreciate your, your kind of insights into your managerial career as well and, and good luck for the rest of the season thank you cheers appreciate it so thanks for listening to that special 
Hospital Ball with Steve Watson. Hope you enjoyed it. Just for reference of when it was recorded, it was recorded a couple of days before the Southport game, which York City went on to win 3-1. We recorded at Haxby Sports Bar. We were located in the snooker room there. Really appreciate them letting us use their facilities again. We've, we've recorded the live event there. We've also recorded a couple of specials there in the past. They're always really accommodating to us, so I really appreciate that. And particularly Nathan at Haxby Sports Bar. Thanks also to Russ Hoban and the Derwent Reds for sponsoring the podcast. Again, if you're interested in, in sponsoring any future episodes, then please do get in touch via the usual sort of social media platforms. I've had a couple of people say to me about, can you ask him about the off-field events and, and stuff like that? Now, we'd already pre-recorded the, the podcast when I received those and we did actually ask him some stuff about the off-field issues but having had a conversation with the club we decided to take those questions out which is their prerogative to do so you know that's that's extremely normal when speaking to football clubs particularly when people are still employed by them you know hospital ball in the past has, has normally spoken to people who retired so so you know they, it's up to them to kind of reveal what they want to reveal but we didn't want to put Steve in a difficult position and I totally understand the clubs wanting to do that to you know keep the interview as positive as possible so that's what we did Uh, finally just to sort of say thank you to everyone uh, for listening again you know this is the 50th episode and it's coming up very shortly to, to kind of two years since we did the first one with Andy McMillan <laughs> you know I wouldn't have believed you if you just said two years down the line we'd be up to episode 50 nor would I believe you we'd have as many downloads as we had I think we're approaching 25,000 now this Thursday I'm going to the Football Content Awards because we've been nominated for an award there which is just unbelievable and uh, you know incredible thank you so much for all the support that people have given it people have sponsored us people have donated people have just messaged to say that they enjoy it and you know encourage us to do more series there, there probably will be another series at some point it isn't impending or anything like that I haven't got like I would do in the past loads of people lined up obviously it's something I do in my own time and kind of work commitments at the minute are just are just too much for me to do anything other than one-offs but I wouldn't say never say never you know I, I, I do think there are other people that it would be really good to speak to and uh, you know I hope I can do again and, and we'll be back with a new series but it's more likely to be in the new year if I'm if I'm being brutally honest about that so thanks again for listening if in the meantime you're able to kind of enjoy this episode and donate some funds to the charity don't forget it's justgiving.com forward slash your hospital radio it really is appreciated and until the next time thanks again